Thank you for connecting to the Bethany Chapel Sermon Link. Our prayer is that you will find the following sermon helpful and inspiring for your spiritual journey. If you are a visitor to this resource, or if you've not attended our church, we would love to meet you in person. Our vision at Bethany Chapel is opening doors to God's truth and love. God bless you as you listen. We're continuing our series on the church. And when I was sort of designing this series, I wrote out all the subjects I could think of that were relevant, and one of them was unity. And I want to talk about that today. It was not a sermon I was really looking forward to or excited about, because it's often easier to talk about something that really doesn't apply that much, you know, and then you get to the application phase, you don't feel like you're making anyone that uncomfortable. But on this one, um, I think that's a, a sermon that probably in the history of our church here we have not done a great job of. And so I kind of feel like the word picture I want to give you is sort of mating porcupines. Mating porcupines or dancing porcupines for those who that was too much for. I feel like we're all kind of dancing porcupines during this sermon. We want to be close and do a slow dance together, but it's going to be really hard not to inflict a little pain on each other. I want to show you a video. I think I showed part of this video, or a bigger, longer version, a few years ago. It's my favorite nature video. This is a much shortened version. It takes place in a national park, Kruger National Park in uh, South Africa. For the faint of heart, a little bit of a spoiler alert, it's gonna be okay, all right? It's gonna be okay, but please watch this video. That is a huge buffalo. That's a huge buffalo. It's a huge buffalo. I don't know, maybe. They're crouching. She's quite big. Does that mean Jack position? No, it's a top position. Oh my God. Oh my God. Can we get the baby? Oh my God. Oh, she's, going the baby. she's going for him. She's going for him. She caught him. Oh, she did. She got him. Hey, these, these guns, lines of one. Get a look at all those buffalo coming. <laughs> I think you're right. They're way too right now. No, they're going to chase him. Come on. Oh, they're too late. Yeah, oh, look at the oh, teeth. Look at them. They're going to chase Look at the teeth, Jay. Look at them. You're too late. You're too late. Whoa. Run. Look at him run. And that one's... Look at him! Ooh! Ooh! Chasing him! Come on, John! Chasing him! Where'd he go in the water? You got the lion on him, Ren. That little one is so long. Oh, it's a stunning lion! Oh, is it? Oh, that's going to the end of the water. It's standing up! It's standing up! It's running away! 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 It's
all I have for you today. Cape buffalo are powerful animals and they have few natural predators as you can see because of how they come together as a group, as a herd. Lions are one of the few things capable of taking down a cape buffalo and as you can see they grabbed a little calf and had it and the longer version you'll see that when that calf was actually in the water two crocodiles got a hold of it as well and the lions won the tug of war with the crocodiles to drag it back onto land. But look at what happened when that herd was on the same page. Unity is powerful. Lions, king of beasts, were humiliated. There's nothing like a mature lion being thrown 10 feet into the air by a bull committed to protecting its offspring. Imagine the church as a herd of wild, untamed, mean Cape buffalo, which actually is a pretty good analogy of the church sometimes. Do we really have that protective instinct? Do we really stand together when we need to? And I'll answer that question for the group, make it less rhetorical. The answer is no. Unity is rare in Christian organizations. In John 17, before Jesus died and rose and ascended, he prayed a prayer. It's a prayer that has not been answered in the positive, which is an interesting theological statement. In other words, Jesus didn't get his way. God didn't get his way at all on this issue because what he's praying about is really up to us. And here's his prayer. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. This is the last week of Jesus' life. He's praying for the future of his movement. So that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. That was Jesus' prayer. Unity has many spiritual benefits, as we can all imagine, but the one Jesus highlights is this. It's the testimony to the outside world. That's the primary motivation that Jesus had when he talked about this issue because he knew that soon after he left, and this took a while because, again, the church started out as Jewish, primarily Jewish, and then spread to the Gentile world. He knew that he would be pulling together in this movement groups of people that could never otherwise get along, Jews with Gentiles. We cannot comprehend what that was like. You have two groups of people who couldn't have a church potluck together. They could never agree on a menu for the gymnasium after the service because their food requirements, literally coming from the scriptures, wouldn't allow them to have a common meal together. Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free persons. In Roman culture, there are many cities where there are more slaves than there were free persons. It wasn't racial. It often was economics, wars, etc., And so you'd have all these people coming together to church. Maybe half of them are slaves and half of them are free. They had no common rights and privileges, and this was the early church. Men and women, two groups of people still trying to navigate life together after 10,000 years. Rich and poor. Normally, they didn't mix in Roman society. 
The church was going to be a massive, God-ordained social experiment of people who are different in every way other than that they are united by their belief in Jesus and the transforming power of the gospel. Other than that, nothing in common. In fact, often hatred. Unity was intended to be the overwhelming fragrance of God's activity and God's presence. In other words, Jesus knew if people see this movement and all the people who are brought together who otherwise can't be brought together, they will conclude something supernatural is going on. God must be here. Yet Christianity lies splintered around the world with thousands of various groups and denominations worldwide. Most of us have been in multiple churches in our lifetimes, often because of how things were going in the church we were in. We decided we had to get a fresh start because of disunity and problems and church splits. And so we end up in another place of worship because the church historically has not done unity well. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is making an appeal for this. Put it up on the screen. It's a short enough passage. Although it's long enough, you might still not be able to read it on the screen because we made it a little small for you. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, I believe Paul's in jail while he's writing this, hence those terms, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father who is over all and through all and in all. We're going to look at three quick points about unity and then spend a little more time on the application uh, than usual. One, unity balances behavior with calling. Unity balances behavior with calling, and here's a part of the verse there, one of the first verses we read, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, as Paul begins chapter four, he begins with this subject of unity, which is kind of interesting because Paul has a habit when he writes his uh, letters, in many cases, to, to do the following. He will, he'll give us many chapters on, again, Paul didn't write with chapters. We put those in later so we could reference things. The, the writer's description never put little numbers in there. But when he put together the first chapters that we've identified as chapters, they're typically theological sections. They're talking about the nature of God or how how what God has done connects with our faith, the impact of the cross, those kinds of things. They're theological in nature. And then at the end of most of his epistles or books or letters, he gets very practical. In other words, because of the theology I've just explained to you, this is how we should live as a result of that. And the book of Ephesians is similar to that. Chapters one through three are biblical theology. Chapters four through six are practical theology. In other words, first three chapters, beliefs, this is what we should be believing. The next three chapters, this is how we should be behaving. That's Paul's typical writing style. And here's the deal. Here's why I'm telling you that. Paul's first practical teaching coming out of his theology is on unity. Isn't that interesting? Now, it's not on sexual ethics, and I think sexual ethics are a big deal, especially in our culture today. But it's not on violence, it's not on lust, it's not on greed, it's not on the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. 
Does that mean it's more important than those things? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's worth noting that when Paul comes out of his theological section, the first thing he wants to highlight is the impact of what God has done in our lives on how we get along in this new social experiment called the church. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling doesn't really define calling, kind of salvation's goal is what I would say would be our calling, to be like Christ. It's our ultimate moral destiny. We get to heaven, we're gonna be like Christ. We're gonna be transformed. We're gonna be perfect. And we are to aspire to be here, what we someday will be there. So worthy, the word worthy in this passage literally means bringing up the other beam or the other side of the scale. That's actually how the word was used in Greek culture, bringing up the other beam or the other side of the scale. In other words, here's our profession. We need to bring our practice up to our profession. That's the point behind the word. We believe all these things about Jews and Gentiles being united in the body. Let's bring up our practice to match our profession. We must then get along in the body of Christ at a very high level because that reflects our newfound faith in Jesus. That's the point. We've all been brought together. Unity is our Christian calling. Second point, unity is not automatic. There are prerequisites. So Paul's target is unity. But I love what he does here. Because he recognizes that's just not gonna happen automatically. So he gives us some character qualities. And and his point is, because he's in this subject, as he's leaning towards unity, he recognizes there's some things we have to do which look like unity. And so he lists them. He gives us four. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, or tolerance. Now, I love what he's doing there because what he's saying is if we get these right, then unity is going to be the result. We actually just went through a process here as a staff, which I've wanted to do for a few years and didn't do it till now, but we got everyone in a room together, most of the staff in a room together, all those are like work here 20 hours or more a week. And what we said is we want to create a staff culture, a staff team culture. And everyone has a say in what that should look like. So we gathered everyone around the table. He said, what do you want a workplace to look like? What do you think it should look like where you'd say, hey, if this was the way things were at work, I really want to be there. If this was the way things were at work, I think that you know, we'll have a great workplace and we'll love each other, we'll care for each other. And so we put all kinds of things on a whiteboard and then somebody took a picture and then they sent the picture to me on my, in my email and then I went home and I started putting that all together. And we had all kinds of ideas and we came up with like 10 sort of character qualities or things that we want to see in each other. And then we said, we're going to use those things in our reviews a little bit so a supervisor can look at them and say, hey, how are you doing on these team values? Or this is an area where you could bring it up a notch. And so it's part of our review process in the future. Here were the things that the staff team came up with. They said, fairness. And so we kind of put a statement with each one of these. We are a diverse staff. We will treat everyone the way we want to be treated. Safety. I'm not going to read them all definitions, but sensitivity, dependability, support for each other, loyalty, commitment, unity, community, encouragement. 
And so we're just basically saying these are 10 sort of values or characteristics that if we have and we reflect towards each other, we're going to have a great situation here as we work with each other. Well, that's what Paul's doing, only he doesn't list 10, he just lists four. And his point is, if you get these four things right, being at church together is going to be blissful. And here are his four. Humility. Well, that's an interesting term. You know, in classical Greek, it was a negative Nobody wanted to be humble. Because in classical Greek, it sort of had the idea of groveling. They call it groveling servility, like you're a servant if you're humble, and you're groveling. And the gospel actually took this term and redeemed it. It's only because of Christianity that this term is viewed positively. Everyone else in the culture would have said, this is a terrible thing. You don't want to grovel to others. But the gospel took this term, and it stood against sort of the the high-mindedness of the unbelieving world. And humility became a Christian virtue, to not sort of insist on your way and be high-minded with others. Gentleness has the idea of controlled strength. Gentleness isn't weakness. I, I have an illustration for gentleness. I can relate to this. I had, I had three daughters and a son. We didn't think we, we actually made sons, and so it took us two days to name him. I think he was going to be Gracie or Wendy or something like that. And after two days in the hospital, we like, we got we to have a legal name. We can't take the kid home. And so we, we came up with Jonathan Paul. A friend of mine was a pastor in Rochester. His name was John. My, my name is Paul, so I didn't have the ego to name him Paul Jr., so Jonathan Paul. And I didn't wrestle with my daughters, probably played around with them, but I wrestled with my son, and he actually became a high school wrestler, at which point he could inflict pain beyond what I had ever imagined. But I would wrestle with him when he was little, and I'm a big guy, and he wasn't that big. He's a big guy now, but he wasn't that big. And you know, as a father, if you're wrestling with your son, you're always controlling yourself because you could crush him. And so it's controlled strength. That's what gentleness is. Doesn't mean you couldn't have your way. It doesn't mean you can't win. But you manage down your strength and are gentle with those around you. Patience. Patience can mean the endurance of suffering. It's used that way a lot in the scriptures. But more likely here, it means the reluctance to avenge wrongs. I don't have to get even with everybody. I don't have to point out everybody's faults. I don't have to have my way in those situations. I'm just going to, sort of like the verse, I believe it's in Proverbs, love covers a multitude of sins. I'm just going to sort of, I'm not going to make a big deal out of things that aren't a big deal. Similarly, tolerance. This means to put up with the faults and idiosyncrasies of others, knowing that we have our own, that we're all imperfect. So we don't expect everyone else to to act exactly the way we want them to act because you know what? Ground's pretty level at the foot of the cross. We all have issues. Now there's a lot of unnatural behavior in these qualities. These are Christian virtues. They don't come naturally. Not a lot of my way or I'm gonna fix everyone around me Not a lot of critical spirit. Not a lot of fighting about what's unimportant. These are Paul's unity behaviors. Four of them. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. 
And when Paul gets to the motivation part, he says this is the reason we do this in the body of Christ is because this is a reflection sort of 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 heaven's math is what I'm calling it. There's an interesting statement here, but he starts going down that path. He said "There's, there's one body, there's one body of Christ, there's one spirit who's united us in that body, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us who is over all and through all and in all. So he speaks to this bond of peace which binds us together, peace binds us together, and the unity of the Spirit. His point is we're all bound together in the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. We're all baptized in the body of Christ according to uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, where it says we're all baptized into one body. We're united together, sort of mystically. When you became a Christian... You became a brother and a sister of everybody else in this room who professes Jesus. We're your family. You can't pick your family. Sadly for you, I'm your brother. Yeah, an American, yeah, even worse. Even worse, I know, when I, when I got here after a few months, you know, I, I asked the board, like, is it a positive thing or a negative thing that I'm American? Yeah, it's negative, Paul. Honesty is one of those qualities as well, you know, that you need in a church. It's a negative, you know. I was told that. I think by Stephen Chuang was the one who pointed that out, right, right down here. <laughs> pretty, pretty sure it was Stephen. I think they all pointed it out, but he spoke first. And he doesn't always speak first, but he did in that meeting. It's definitely a negative. And at this point, he knew me a little bit, so he probably said it with emphasis. <laughs> so... I don't even know where I was here. We're all bound together in the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. We're related. We're related. Now, not blood-related, so you probably will keep your hair, but we're related. And Paul's point is we can't be two bodies of Christ. That's his point. There's not two bodies of Christ. There's one body of Christ because we were all baptized into it mystically by the Spirit of God. So his point is, hey, let's do heaven's math. There's one body. There's one Spirit. One Spirit united us into that body. There's one Lord. It's Jesus. We only got one. There's one faith. There are a lot of different views of faith, but true Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, rose again, paying the price for our sins. His resurrection gives us hope for a new life and eternal life. There's one Lord, can't be a Christian without believing that. There's one faith, there's one baptism. And his point is this, a lack of unity violates every part of that principle of heaven's math. A scattering of the body a breaking up of a church, a a church split, or all the hundreds and hundreds of denominations that have one little theological principle as their primary reason for splitting and becoming their own, breaks up the idea of the body, and it screams there are multiple spirits, there are multiple lords, there are multiple faiths, there are multiple baptisms, and we're the only ones who got it right. Jesus knew that if his movement ever got to that point, it would be extremely damaging to its reputation in the world. 
And Jesus' prayer has not been answered at all. But what at least we can do after all of these splits and denominations existed is take that principle into our own fellowship and into our own local body and act like we believe it, right? We can at least do that. So I want to talk about some applications here. Unity apps. First, demonstrate grace. Don't look to be offended. Now, before I dive into these apps, I want to prep us a little bit. Because normally we get to this point and we apply a passage and it's really not that controversial. You know, we get to the apps and it's like, okay, Paul's only got about 10 minutes left, so you're excited. You know, you're thinking about lunch. You're wondering what kind of coffee they have out there and if this is the week of the month when we have the donuts along with it. And you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do this afternoon? And most of you aren't big NFL fans, so you have a lot more choices. And so you're, you're, you're kind of thinking, okay, what's he going to say? Here's what he's going to say. Because he says the same thing every week. We're pro-Jesus. We're against the devil. Go Stampeders. Go Flames. Let's pray and go home. I mean, that's kind of, it's always the same thing. You know, it's just like, hey, we're going we're to do the right thing. But we're going to go a little deeper this week. Because this issue has been a corporate struggle for Bethany for a long time. And we're going to talk about that. Because it has to stop. And it mostly has stopped. But we're building a new future. And there's still some habits that exist here that are going to keep that from happening unless we point out that it's unacceptable. I've spoken with people who have left Bethany many years ago, and I've spoken with a lot of people who are here. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. I know Bethany's history all the way back to the little church over to the east of us on the other side of Crow Child, and I've heard about the start of the church and how it was started and who taught and the hiring of the first pastor. I've also heard what the first pastor said when he left And as much as he was admired, I believe the words were, I wash my hands of you. That's a direct quote from a current staff member. So I think there were some things going on behind the scenes back then that weren't all positive as well, even though those are always stated as the glory days of Bethany. I came here at the tail end of a divisive theological fight, which had continued to send people out of this church. And it was round two at least of that fight because it was fought in the 90s as well. I consider it unnecessary and unproductive. It did a lot of damage. People have openly shared with me how hard Bethany has been historically on its pastors. In fact, this was so bad and the reputation was so bad that our current elder chair at one point did some sort of a survey with staff, I forget how he described it, but went around to staff and talked about their view of the elder board, and they were basically terrified. That was what it was like to work here. I came into some of that and heard comments about the elders being the keepers of the word, which was basically a way of saying, we've really got our eyes on the pastor to make sure he doesn't mess up. Now, that elder is no longer on the board, 
but those were the words that I've heard. People have been hard on elders here. It's very hard to find former elders that still go to Bethany. Part of it's because we chose to have a model where all the pressure is on the elders and we really don't believe in church staff because brethren didn't believe in clergy. Because we can't trust the people who actually go for 10 or 15 or 20 years of advanced training. They're the ones who are going to lead us astray. Which I cannot even imagine where that thinking came from. So we put all the pressure on lay elders. I've heard of worship leaders who are volunteers getting nasty mail about worship. Personally, I've received all kinds of advice about how to do my job, including how to preach, including what jokes I can say from the pulpit or not, things about movies and whether that's appropriate or whether I understand Canadian culture or my poor sense of humor, and threats to leave if I don't change. And I want to play like airline steward. We have a door right there and a door right there and two there. So you would leave and not keep your divisive spirit here? That's a big threat. Now, I know I've got you in a pretty uncomfortable place right now. I'm going to be in big trouble for saying this, but my wife has been scolded by multiple women here. And she basically functions like a free staff member here. Because the one word that Bethany believes in is, you could never have her on staff because that would be a big conflict of interest. I mean, that's what everyone wants to bring up. And usually it's brought up by the people with the biggest conflicts of interest. Brennan, who I love, in 30 years of ministry, it's never been easier to be on the same page with somebody as I have been with Brennan. Got a little... Staff bromance going on. Brennan was warned by several people in, Beth, in, in, in uh, Calgary not to take a job here. You need to know that's our reputation historically. We've actually had conversations on staff of whether a church name change would be appropriate whether Bethany has a good history in Calgary or not. And, and it's a very interesting conversation. Now, I'm here to tell you that things are better. If you're new here, I don't want you to think, oh my goodness, what is going on in this place? Very little, actually, that's negative. But there's always something. Just like at your work, just like here, there's always something. You get a bunch of people together, things happen. And I believe the future is incredibly bright here. And I'm committed to it. You couldn't drag me out of this place. So I'm not going anywhere. But we're going to talk about what's broken. That wasn't what I was looking for, but thank you. Steve, tell Stephen Twang that later, that you like me, because he doesn't like Americans. I I don't know what his deal is. He doesn't like Americans. I don't like Americans either. Some, some, anyway. All right. The future is very bright. I absolutely believe that a significant turnaround is happening here, and it's very positive, and many of you are new and you'd have no idea what I'm talking about here. But there still are a few old habits that are still in our culture, and they need to die. 
And I'm telling you also, and I mean this, and this is the American in me, I'm not an easy target. And I will fight for unity. I will be one of those bull Cape Buffaloes. And as much as I can, I'll influence the elder board to be like that. There are times we cannot be nice when people are trying to cause division in a church. There are things we can't tolerate. And I'll lose my job over that. A few of you need to take a serious look inside and prioritize Christian unity as a sign of a transformed life. And here are five steps to that end. Demonstrate grace. Don't look to be offended. Some people don't do well without conflict. You know, they kind of always need to have something going on. And the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And the point is that not everything needs to become a big deal. You know, if you're married, you understand this very well. If you've ever been born into a family, you understand this very well. You know, when we're around people, stuff happens. It, of course it happens. And we don't always need to apologize and make everything a big deal. Sometimes there's just little things that annoy us. And patience and forbearance are qualities that are intended to be in the lives of Christians that allow the little things to go. Where when somebody says something you don't like, you don't have to make a big deal out of it. You don't have to tell Martha and Mary and Susie, and I'm not talking about any Martha and Mary and Susie's here. But we just say, you know what, it wasn't a big deal. They probably didn't mean it, just let it go. Love covers a multitude of sins. Demonstrate grace. Don't look to be offended. Second, don't let personal offenses grow into corporate offenses. Some of us store up our hurts. And what I mean by this is we just need to follow Matthew 18. If you're really hurt by something, if it's really wounded you, go to the person it happened with and work out those hurts. And don't expand them. Don't spread them. One of the things that, I mean, as parents, you know, you never feel like you did everything right. But one of the things we really did do right is we really taught our kids how to apologize. You know, and when they would hurt each other's feelings, and, and we would do this. If we disciplined our kids in anger, and we know anger spilled into the discipline process, we literally would go to them and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Now, you shouldn't have hit your sister, but still, I shouldn't have disciplined you that way. So I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? We tried to model that with each other, and it really helped our marriage. Didi has had to say that so many times to me. Sorry. It was just low-hanging fruit, and she's not here, so. I love you, Didi. Hope it's mutual. Sometimes Christians just don't work out their issues, and then when they don't, they metastasize, and they start sharing with their friends, and you develop these little factions in the church. And I gotta tell you, Paul talked about that a lot in the New Testament. A lot. Third, appropriately prioritize theological differences. Now, this is a really big deal for churches, and we do it horribly. I'm not talking about Bethany. I'm talking about all churches. Do this terribly. There is a time to split a church. Absolutely. And there is a time to leave a church, and there is a time to fight. Paul actually talks about that. He talks about, in many of his writings, probably all of them, talks about false teachers and false teaching and how to handle it and to, you know, to People are being divisive with false teachings to avoid them and separate from them. So there's, there's a time to really have a good church fight and a good church split. 
But churches are notoriously bad at knowing when a fight is appropriate. All right? And the way I always explain this is, even though the Bible doesn't always lay out what's a big deal, I think we can use some logic, and we can, we can all agree that there are A issues, like Jesus is the Son of God. There is one God. We're monotheists. Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins. We can only get to heaven through faith in Jesus. That's an A issue. Those are worth fighting for. And there would be some social issues that would go along with those A issues, in my mind. I would say a biblical view of marriage is, is worth fighting for. I'd say a biblical view of sexuality is actually worth fighting for because if we don't believe that there's male and female, man and woman, marriage between man and woman, we're getting rid of all of the sexual sin issues as well. So I think you kind of have to have a stand on a conservative view of human sexuality and marriage. Thank you for that. You're not alone. Trust me. You just wonder said it. So we, we have to be conservative. Then there are D issues. Okay, what's a D issue? I mean, should we have an electric guitar on the platform? Well, the answer is yes, of course. You know, some of you would still prefer that we were 30 years back with a choir. I get that. I don't think your kids and grandkids would come to church here with that, but I get it that it was your music culture and you love it and you miss it. And I get that. And there will be a section for you in heaven with choir music by the Bill Gaither trio or whatever. There will be. It will be there. It will be there. Now, in heaven, you're going to go back to about your 35-year-old state. You're not going to have gray hair, but you're going to love that choir. So the reality is, we don't agree on music, but music to me is a tool to always reach next generations. And so you always lean young with music. It's why our music is what our music is. Now, we're not cutting edge, you know, like it's not like we're not doing Christian rap up here and, you know, not everyone is tatted up and has, you know, yellow hair and, I mean, you know, but, but we're contemporary, all right? So that's a D issue. And there are some B issues, you know, mode of baptism. It's pretty important, I think, that we believe in believer's baptism, but to me it's not like you're going to get to heaven or not based on that. And there are some theological issues that might be C issues, like are we pre-tribulational or are we pre-millennial or are we post-millennial or, you know, do we believe in a literal book of Revelation in any way, shape, or form? What's our view of different aspects of eschatology? What's our view of church governance? Those are B and C issues. They're not A issues. So here's the problem. People in churches all have a Bible. And as soon as somebody does something, they think, well, this is not right. They're willing to fight over it. We've got to prioritize things a little better. Not everything is worth a knockdown, drag-out fight. And if you want to be that church, you're going to be 100 people. Fourth, get the right people in leadership and let them lead. I'm not talking about me here. I'm talking about me and staff and elders and deacons. I'm talking about leadership in the New Testament church, which the Bible talks about. Churches are effective when an excellent board and excellent staff kind of stay together for 10 or 15 years. That's when churches grow. A lot of studies done on this. Certain people in place together for a long period of time. Those churches grow. It's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. But I'm telling you that's what works. Those churches are consistent. All it takes is one immature elder or one divisive staff member to wreck everything. I've been in ministry 30 years. I'm not talking about Bethany. I'm talking about my own experience back in the States as well. 
It doesn't take much to go wrong at those levels of leadership to destroy a church. Recently, we were criticized, rightly, by a former staff member who said, it's too easy to get a job at Bethany. It was a very interesting conversation. It was an exit interview. I'm not going to say who it was, but it wasn't negative. Like, it was a positive interview. But they told us, and they were kind of schooling us, like, it was shockingly easy to get a job here compared to other places. The interview process was completely insufficient. And we're changing. We're changing it. You can avoid a lot of pain if you do that right. The four C's was sort of, I don't know, I don't want to call it our accrediting body or what it is, but the four C's in Canada that overlooks nonprofits kind of sent us a letter. It's like, hey, you guys need to have another elder. We only got four voting elders, and then me, and I'm not a voting elder. We need another voting elder. They want five. Or they might not, you know, pat us on the back or whatever they do. And we sent them back a nice note from Aaron, like, we want to do it, you know, but we're going to do it when the time is right and we find the right person. We're just not going to throw people on the board so that we have a certain number of people on the board because that is death in a church. Bethany was founded from a lay pastor movement. In other words, they didn't hire a regular pastor for some time. That structure was not normal, but it was the brethren model. It's not realistic to keep it moving forward. It's not really a repeatable model. I don't know of any large brethren churches, and that's the reason, in my opinion. It's a very difficult model to actually continue. But out of that, one of Bethany's greatest challenges, and I think it's one of the things that's going on behind the scenes here at times when people disagree, is this. There's no consistent view of leadership structures here. Nobody agrees about who's in charge. And that's why everyone's telling each other what to do and how to do it. And so you have some people here who absolutely have congregational views of leadership and they think they can tell all the staff and elders what to do. You have other people here who believe in elder-led model and they really respect the elders and they recognize we elect elders. It's much like government. We elect representation and they run the place and if I can't have confidence in them, that's when you leave. You have other people here who would say, and this is what I would say, this is an elder oversight church, but in the world we live in, staff are doing the day-to-day work, so you have a staff-led church with elder oversight. I would say that's kind of how we operate right now. Some of you resent that. There's some of you who want the church mom model. You know what the church mom is? That's a term pastors use of the person who's elected or unelected, but nothing passes without their approval. That's a dysfunctional church. And there's 20 hybrids of everything I've talked about that are represented among the views of people sitting in the pews today. And what that leads to is a little chaos and sometimes not very good treatment of each other. Finally, keep the main thing the main thing. Unity is a choice. Those Cape Buffalo chose unity. Now, they could have sat around and argued, and there might have been some off to the side. I can, if, you, if you replay that tape and separate voices, you might even hear a little bit of this. That little buffalo deserved it. You know, it's his parents' fault. They let him get a little too far away. Why are the bulls charging? There should be three bulls and three cows. 
better him than me. You know, there probably were, but there's a little of that. These are Christian buffalo we're talking about. There was a little of that going on. There was some judgmental stuff going on. And as those Cape Buffalo argue, Junior Buffalo was killed and sacrificed because of disunity. That, that, that would kind of be characteristic of a, how a lot of times churches operate. In my opinion, and I hope you agree with me, there is too much at stake to allow disunity in the body. The world is dying and headed into a Christless eternity. That is priority number one. After that is preserving the faith of future generations of those of us who are Christians. That is priority number two. That's what we need to be united about. I don't really have a good way to end this, and I'm sorry, it looks like I'm a little upset. I am a little upset. Communion, which we're going to celebrate together in a moment, is an expression of our oneness in Christ. We don't think of that because when we introduce communion, we're always saying, well, Jesus died and rose again, and communion is the memory of his death, and that is true. But there's a, a little bit of a, another motivation for communion that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. It's a representation of our oneness together in the body. It's something we do where we're saying, we all believe the same thing. We share the same faith. We are to be a body. So today, as we celebrate communion, I want you to think of it that way. We're celebrating, we're taking the juice and the bread and we're acknowledging together that we're all related, we're in this together. We are one. And we want to be one together, unified, following Jesus. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a God who can bring all of us together in a body. And you want us to love each other, to express the kind of oneness that you dreamed of, that probably hasn't happened as you wanted. But I pray that we would increasingly model that, that we'd be the kind of people who can put aside secondary issues that don't matter that much and stay united for the great causes that exist in our world, to reach people with the gospel, to train our children to follow you, to love you together as a body. Help us to be that body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We hope you found it connected you to the God of truth and love who we worship and serve at Bethany Chapel. If you have any questions or want to connect to any of our pastors, please go to our Bethany Chapel app and choose Connect or go online to BethanyChapel.com and click Come. Thanks again and God bless you.